Welcome to another episode of Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. Uh, what? Obvi- yeah, what? It's Canel- happening, people. Kiernan and Bell? I'm not even off the bench. I've never even been on a bench. <laughs> I've, I'm serious. Well done. I've never been in the starting lineup, and I was never on the bench. No. I'm off the couch. Welcome to the game. You are off the bench. Welcome to the game, sir. We are going to talk superhero favorite. Sure. Yeah, let's do that. Um, we're going to do our prerequisite little NFL Monday Night Football get up. Because you have to. Because you have to. Dude. Yeah, because the records, if you, they're 3 and 15, I yeah, believe. Yeah, it was just fantastic. I mean, it was tune in TV, must see. Yeah. Uh, but then we're going to talk some basketball today. There you and go. I'm kind of excited to do that because they don't usually give us the platform, but I got you here with me today, and so we're going to dig in. If there are any couch related topics, I got you covered. That. Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw. First Raja Bell. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Okay, I'm Case Kiernan, and that's Raja Bell. For full disclosure, Stan Lee died yesterday. Yeah. He had an unbelievable career, and he was the inventor of Marvel Comics. Sure. Did you know, in all honesty, when you heard Stan Lee dead, you knew immediately who that was? No. I had no idea. I had to look it up. I, I did my little Wikipedia dive this morning, um, figured out who he was. Admittedly, not a big superhero fan growing up. Like, I just okay. wasn't into the comics. You? It's all good. No, I was not into comics. I'm not into comic book movies either, are you? Really? I uh, am into the movies, though. See, it's really weird because I was anti-comic book. Like, no Superman. No, Like, didn't like them and probably, if I'm being genuine, teased like some of the guys that may have been into them. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I really like the movies. Do your kids like the movies? They enjoy the movies, yeah. Do they like basketball? Uh, my kids, yeah, they like basketball, and anytime you can get like basketball into one of the movies, like right. it's even better. We've killed two birds with one. So, what did you have like sp- sports heroes growing up? I'm sure you do. Who are yeah. Um. So my dad was from Chicago, um, or is from Chicago, and my mom is from Philly. So a lot of my favorite players were like, you know, Dr. J when I was really young was one of my guys, and yeah. then obviously everyone loved MJ. So I was a huge MJ fan. Um, and then I loved Andre Dawson. Cause he was a Florida guy. He's from Homestead area and I was a huge Cubs fan. So he was one of my heroes. And then, you know, generally speaking, was it the 85 Bears team? Yep. Like those were my guys, like Refrigerator Perry and Willie Gold. Yeah. And, and Did you ever meet some of your sports heroes growing up and it didn't quite like match up to what you expected? Um, no, yeah. So I met Michael Jordan once when I was, I was probably about 13 and I waited all practice. I looked through a crack at University of Miami watching them. And then, uh, his whole team came out and everybody kind of signed something. Yeah. And MJ just walked right by me. Like did not, like he was not stopping for anything. So I was kind of, I was bummed, right? And so, you know, I got my head down and I'm walking away and my mom was showing up to pick me up. So I'm kind of, you know, bopping over to her and she's like, who's that getting off the bus? And MJ sneaking off the bus. Yeah. And he just goes and he sits down because everyone is gone now. So he sits down and he sits by himself. And like, I'm scared now because he's already shot me down. But my mom's gotcha. like, you need it. We need to go over. This is your chance. So she walked me over there and he was the coolest dude, man. We sat there with him for like 45 minutes while he waited for a ride what? to play golf. 45 yeah, minutes. Man. Yeah. We talked. He offered me his Jordans, but his Jordans were like, his Jordans. I wore 14 in the eighth grade. Who cares? He you was already in a 13. No, I mean, he was only in a 13. He was, I had the Jordans on. He was like, what you been doing? Skateboarding in those? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really fantastic. So you didn't take Michael Jordan's Jordans. Nope. From Michael Jordan. Nope. And I don't know if he offered them to me as much as saying, man, you could have had these, but your foot's bigger than mine already. Oh, okay. So that changes the <laughs> right, story right, a right. lot. So the only story I got is David Beckham. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, he was awesome. So when I was new, my very first job, I was an intern for a soccer radio show. And he treated me like I worked for, for CBS. Oh, that's great. He did. And yeah. uh, one time I was setting up audio equipment. 
and I couldn't figure it out, and I knew he was on his way for a one-on-one interview. Yeah. I'm the intern, so I'm, and I can't figure it out, and I'm freaking out. <laughs> and I'm freaking out, and the time is ticking, and all of a sudden, someone taps me on my shoulder, and I go, what do you want? And I turned up, and it was him. It's Bex. Yeah. It was him. Did he have and a he, laugh, or was he? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, he did. Okay. He was like, I just wanted to say hi, and I was embarrassed. <laughs> anyway, it got worked out, so yeah. we, we figured it out. All right, guys, let's talk Monday Night Football last night. Yeah. I know you watched this game. Yeah, I was tuned in from start to finish. Yeah, you um, were into it. Yeah, Eli Manning looked like he had a little time in the pocket, 19 for 30, 188, three TDs. Got Odell Beckham Jr. involved a little bit. But, I, again, um, look, I'm not the football deep dive guy, but I think sure. this says more about – like San Francisco, um, and how bad they are, uh, right now and less about how good the Giants are. And sure, Absolutely. like mathematically, I mean, you could say that they're still breathing, but like, I think we all see the writing on the wall with, with New York, right? Well, okay. So it's funny. So one thing that Odell Beckham Jr. said is the goal now is to win eight straight and make the playoffs. Correct. And he's delusional <laughs> yeah. for the rest of us that live in reality. Yeah. There's fantasy, right? So, I mean, I was watching last night for fantasy football and for picks. And that final uh, TD pass by Eli Manning, that hit the over. Yeah. And it won the game for the Giants. Who was that? was the one to... Uh, I may have had the over. That's why I'm excited. That was actually a pretty good throw, though. Sterling Shepard. Yeah. 53 seconds to go. So it was a pretty good game on a night where the matchup wasn't so great. And I feel bad for Monday Night Football. They usually get these horrible matchups. Yeah. I might have to start, like, gambling or playing some fantasy. To make that would have given, given me a reason to be there. Exactly. I was so not there. I was I was more concerned with my roasted garlic attempt in the oven like I was watching that. How'd that go? It went good. I'm feeling it now. I can smell the garlic. Yeah, I'm like I'm feeling it now, but it went good last night. Uh, so Eli Manning, and you know, the problem is that they do only have, I, I believe it's two wins now in the year. Uh, and you know, the fan base is revolting. They want to move on from Eli Manning. Yeah. I think they should stick it out at least one more year with Eli. Why? Because he has a career high right now, and I've got the numbers here, a career high passer rating, yep. yards per attempt, and accuracy. He's completing more balls uh, to receivers than than any year in his career. Right. He's got a career high in sacks. Yeah. So when Dave Gettleman brought in the left tackle, Nate Solder made him the highest paid left tackle in football, they thought, okay, we're going to put up this patchwork O-line and fix things for Eli. Correct. And that hasn't worked. It's not Eli's fault. I think they need to run it back one more year. The problem is the fan base will revolt if they do that. They will. Well, I, you know, I think there's a scenario in which they might not revolt, and that's if you find someone, if you can find his predecessor, if you can find someone that that you can kind of groom with one more year under him. I don't I don't know who's in this year's quarterback class. I don't know how high the kid from Oregon's going to go or or you know what I mean? Like I I, I don't know. But you're you're going to have a top 5 pick probably, right? Um if you can get a guy and just say he's not ready yet and have and you secure that offensive line and really shore it up going into next season because like I'm not going to argue with the numbers you just spit out there. Um but if you could transition it like that, see what Eli looks like next year with the new offensive line. Um have the guy waiting in the wings. The problem right now is they don't have anything waiting in the wings. I think New York fans like they're not the most rational people in the world all the time, but if you had the plan in place, I think they would give you a little bit of a breathing room to start next season with Eli. And if he looks good, yeah. and it gives you a chance, then you roll with that. I think the problem is that so the the guys at the top of the draft right now are Drew Locke, Justin Herbert, and Will Greer out of West Virginia. And the problem is you probably want to take an offensive lineman with that first yeah. pick. So if you're really thinking about shoring up the offensive line and you don't take that and you take a quarterback with the first pick, that right. eventual quarterback will be playing against uh, behind this offensive line. And that's a problem. What uh you so you have to address one of them via free agency or or through the trade market, right? right? Yeah. Um 
they they had opportunities this year. See, I thought like a guy like Teddy Bridgewater was a good target for them earlier in the season. There were guys out there. I, look, when you've married yourself to Eli um, and you've been unwilling to explore, at least publicly, explore you know, the potential of moving on from him. Yeah. It really makes you, it makes you look bad and opens yourself up for this, right? If you were, if, if you had been a little more forthright about what was going on, like, look, we, you know, if anyone had ever said, look, we understand that Eli's getting a little older and where we, the plans are in place. But when you keep that close to the vest, which you should do as a front office, as an organization, yeah. it just opens you up for all kind of speculation and, and, and to get beat up by the media, quite frankly. Well, he's 37 years old. This would probably be his last year. We'll see what happens. Uh, last night, the Warriors lost to the Clippers in overtime. Yeah. There's a little beef from Kevin Durant and Draymond Green last night. Yeah. So. You know, obviously when Steph Curry goes out, you kind of reinvent yourself a little bit as an offense, but you have the weapons. Like, you know, you get more Clay Thompson. You're going to get more, um, uh, Kevin Durant. You're going to get more Draymond Green and so on. It's a 106, 106 at the end of regulation with about six seconds to go. Draymond clears a rebound. Um, and he's got KD sitting right next to him and he elects to like push up the court into traffic. He loses the ball. Um, if KD had been running the wing opposite him, that's one thing. Draymond's fully capable of pushing the ball and making the decision. 99 out of 100 times, get that ball off the rim and go with it. Like, that's your job. He's one of the best forwards in the league with the ball in his hand. The problem is you can't really score with the ball in your hands. There's six seconds. Kevin Durant is standing right next to you. He's not up the wing for an advance pass. Give him the ball. That's the one time, that's the 1% of the time where I don't want Draymond pushing. Get that damn ball to Kevin Durant and get out of the way. I think it's a good sign that they're drawing at each other because it's the regular season and yeah. any sign of the Warriors being interested during the regular season. You're for that? If I'm a Golden State fan, I'm like applauding that, right? Because Steve Kerr is like running out of ideas. That's true. That's like true. I let them coach a game last year. I let them run a film session. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, dude, I guarantee you Steve Kerr has no problem with that. He's exhausted all like creative ways to keep them engaged. So exactly. some organic, like organic stuff isn't bad. My problem with that is like, Draymond and KD are both like really headstrong guys, like personality wise. I think KD is. Yeah, I do. I think I he do. wants us to think that lately in the past couple of years after he was thought as not an alpha, but a beta. No, I, I think that he is an alpha, but I don't think he's an outward alpha. There are guys that are alphas that don't project as alpha. What is alpha outward alpha? Like, like you mean passive aggressive? No, no, I mean like you're not like loud and in your face and like Draymond comes across like an alpha, this bigger than life personality. Like yeah. KD's not like that. But KD everywhere he's ever been in any locker room has been the man. You you're not that without being an alpha. You're just not. Like to 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 take over games the way he does, yeah. like to be the player he is, he's got to be an alpha. So uh, like again, you've got two of these guys um and this is going to be Golden State's problem going forward. It is like as, as it, it, it's just a small sample size of it. But guys are going to look. Draymond wants to be one of the best players in the NBA. He is, but is that enough for Draymond? I don't have the answer. It might be, but you know there are times where clears have roles have to be clearly defined. This is one of those instances where you you saw that they were. So, do you think this is cracks in the foundation? Not really. The 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 quote that interested me before the season, uh, Kevin Durant. I could have taken a long-term deal, and it goes easily. Yeah. But instead, I want to take it year by year and see where that takes me. No. If I'm a team like the Clippers, who can clear space enough for two max contracts, sure. I'm like, I'm all in for the summer of KD. And that could be Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard in the summer. Sure. Like they, they're, And what you're doing in L.A. right now is great, and i got to give a lot of credit to um, – um, Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer, my and guy. Jerry West. Jerry West, my guy Trent Redden is out there in the front office with them. Uh, and quite frankly, Doc, like they're doing a good job with not a lot. 
Absolutely. Montrez Harold, Tobias Harris, they're stepping. I mean, they are just play, they're playing harder than you, right? And they're 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 gritting them out, and that makes you a destination when stars look at that. Exactly. They're, they're, we could do something there, unless you're LeBron James. Well, yeah. But, and if you're LeBron James, you're like, I'll take whatever, right. <laughs> as long as I wear purple and gold, I'll take. He's good. He was going there no matter what. But that you're an attractive destination, and when you're talking about Kevin Durant. I do think that things like that and ongoing, you've seen it with him and, and Draymond a lot. Like, they have it. You've seen like, it with Draymond a lot of people. Yeah, right. And that could be, look, you're just looking for any reason, uh, for, or no reason to give him to want to leave there, right? If I'm, I just got really wordy and didn't say much, but you want everything to be perfect. I got what you meant, you know. But at the same time, like you just want to be you, and you don't have to be worrying about pissing this guy. If off. If you're Draymond, no. If you're anyone on the Warriors, I'm not talking about you. Listen, give the damn man the ball. He's quite. He's, he's Kevin the, Durant. He's that's the best player on the planet right now. Uh, like, that's a good point. Like you know, give him the ball. Get out the way and shut your mouth. All right, let's talk about LeBron James. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> they've won three straight, and now that sort of they've gotten out of the forest of losing four or five. LeBron admitted, I almost cracked there last week. Yeah. I almost cracked 13 games into the season. Did you expect to hear this from LeBron James this early? He knew what he was getting into. Yeah, I mean, I expected it if they looked bad. Like, LeBron does not have a lot of patience. He doesn't. He now, said that. He, he does not. And, you know, I, I, exp- I didn't expect them to look that bad that early. I knew it was going to be a, a process getting them up to speed and stuff. But, I, like, they were having a little bit more struggles than I thought they should early. Like so it's not surprising. They just didn't look great. Like, they weren't they weren't getting over the hump. They were in a lot of tight games. Um and those, like you figure, like a team with that much talent can figure out a way to win them. You know what I mean? And yep. then, like, I always knew they'd be a work in progress, but I thought they'd be better. Now, adding Tyson Chandler, like that seems to be what they were missing. Doesn't do anything great offensively, long in the tooth, but man, he shores up what you're trying to do defensively. Uh, he gets you extra possessions. He really quarterbacks that defense. So I think, you know, that's helped them a lot. It's kind of correlated with their recent win streak, but I'm not surprised. I'm surprised that he would come out and say that he almost cracked, but I'm not surprised that he would be feeling like that because he never had a lot of patience. That's why it was interesting to see him go to L.A. knowing this was a, a, an essential rebuild mode year. Yeah, but that t- to me just told me about his motivations the entire time. Why else would he take this if it didn't have something to do with other than basketball? Yeah. And when he was questioned about that in that opening press conference, remember how defensive he got? No. He, he said, uh, I think it was to a guy named Andy Kamenetsky who runs a, a Lando Lakers blog out there. He said, how long have you followed me? Do you think I would do that for things other than basketball? And the guy goes, no. And he goes, okay then. Yeah. He like belittled the reporter. Yeah, he, he like because bullied he's so him. He bullied him. Like shutting it down. Don't even think I'm here for anything other than basketball. We all know it has a lot more to do with ba- than basketball. Uh, yeah, I think you'd be naive to think that it doesn't have something to do with off the court. Yeah. But I do think it has a lot to do with on the court also because LeBron has a lot of like wear on his body. He's played a lot of minutes in the NBA, and he played a lot of minutes last year. Like, I think more than he had played maybe in the last five years. So you were looking for a destination where not only could you have, you know, a, 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 a co-star, you know, and they they're, they're still yet to get that. But the money is in place, and someone will come there. He will attract. I don't know if they don't get Kawhi Leonard. Who is it? I don't know, but they will. Like you got Anthony Davis out there. You got people. You have yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That would be huge. Correct. So he's going to get somebody. But the point is, you were looking for a situation where you could get that, yeah, and then have all these young, youthful, like good players with you because as he ages, he needs legs. 
and they had that. They, that was the recipe. Like LA had the recipe that he needed to like prolong his possible like finals appearances and, and, and have him take a back seat to somebody, you know. And so I do think there were basketball reasons that he went there too, but certainly off the court stuff. So Magic Johnson took a lot of heat for the way that he conducted that meeting with Luke Walton, and it leaked that he was he was upset. He was yelling at Luke, and he actually comes out and says. Luke's job is safe. Yeah. And since Magic said that, they've gone five and one. Yeah. So it looks like you, you didn't, uh, you weren't throwing any shade on Magic for that. No. Um, look, your job as an executive is essentially to hold Luke Walton accountable the same way he holds his players accountable. Like if a player comes up and then they're in the film session the next day and I'm not doing my job, Luke Walton is supposed to tear me a new one. He's supposed to be in there and, and add, you know, you didn't do this, this and this. This is what I need you to do. So, you know, Magic's job is to do that to his head coach. Um, and I didn't have a problem with, with, with it being leaked or anything like that. We're not going to accept, um, anything less just yeah. because we've, we're an experiment right now. Like, but I also like the fact, I really love the fact that he came out and said, yeah, I, I ripped him, but his job's safe. Like, he's good. Be- because that, you know what I mean? Like, look, I don't have to love the job you're doing. I have to hold you accountable for not doing you're it right. the right way. Magic and like- I can still make you feel secure in the fact that you're my guy. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. And Magic seems like the kind of guy who would do that. And also the kind of guy who he could take or leave this job. You know what I mean? Like, like he's secure enough. He could take it or leave it, and he's going to do it his way, and and we'll see how long Luke lasts. Yep. All right, guys. We're coming back on Off the Bench. We're going to talk about Jimmy Butler, what impact he's going to make at the Sixers, and what's wrong with Markel Fultz. What is wrong with Markel Fultz? All right, we'll be right back. I'm pumped for the Jimmy Butler era to start. It's tomorrow yeah. in Orlando. In Orlando, okay. Uh, what are your expectations? How long will this thing take to build? It'll take uh, a month. Really? Yeah, a month and they're rolling. Yeah, I think that you'll see like them look good probably the first couple nights out. And then you'll have a, you'll have a period of where they need to settle in a little bit. I think once you get a new guy... You know, for one reason or another, it looks good early. And then you kind of fall into guys want to get back to doing their regular thing. And then you've got this new piece that doesn't really know how to fit with, you know, us trying to do our regular thing. And then it takes some time to build the chemistry. So it'll look good early and then, then they'll regress and then it'll look good in about a month. Yeah. Good to get them in November because you've got all that time to sure. build chemistry before the playoffs. It's a guy who can create his own shot, executing crunch time, something they didn't have. And we're looking at the projected starting lineup. It's funny. Uh, Brett Brown was asked after the game, hey, is Jim Butler going to be inserted right away? He said, he's taking someone's spot. Yeah. I'm not comfortable <laughs> saying who. But yeah, why would you? I mean, you're bringing in Jimmy Butler. You, I know. You traded Covington and Sarich. And like, why wouldn't? Yeah, he's going to start. He wasn't comfortable saying whose place he's going to take. That's okay. It's Markel Fultz. Yeah, he's take Markel. Well, and Markel Fultz has had his struggles. Um, I he do. Has? I do think that they're, I do think that Markel Fultz, if used correctly and reprogrammed, could be a good player in the NBA. Like, I think he puts too much of an emphasis on the score. Look, you don't shoot well. Yeah. You don't. And it's not his fault he was a number one overall yeah, pick. Yeah, it's not. Be a, be a, be a playmaker on that Sixers team. Like, right. commit yourself, don't worry about the scoring, commit yourself, you're long, you're rangy, you're athletic as heck, get to the rim, score. There were a lot of guys that came into the NBA that needed time to develop jump shots. Like, Russell Westbrook couldn't hit jump shot for his first three years in the league. And I'm not saying that he's Russell Westbrook, but I mean, you know, do what you can do, don't get hung up on what you can't do right now. So I think that he adds value to the Sixers. But it's okay if he goes to the bench now. He's still a baby. Yeah, and, you know, they already have a guy who can't shoot, and that's Ben Simmons in the starting lineup. 
And, you know, he was, he was schemed against in the playoffs last year with the Celtics. Yeah. Uh, TJ McConnell got some of Simmons minutes. Remember that yeah. TJ McConnell game? Totally. Uh, when they got the win. So you can't afford two of those guys in your starting lineup. So Markel Fultz is probably going to hit the bench. Uh, I think this makes them better than Toronto and better than the Bucks because right behind the Celtics. Okay. Because, uh, rotation shortened in the playoffs. And I think it's all about having stars. And yeah. while Toronto does have Kawhi now, while the Bucks do have maybe an improved Giannis, I think this still puts them ahead of those two teams. On paper, in terms of talent and stars, yeah. And I could even make the case in terms of talent and stars that it puts them ahead of Boston. But you still got to go out there and you got to play. Um, but look, anybody who was able to add Jimmy Butler, if they already had a good nucleus of two like stars, I mean, it was going to put them in the catbird seat you know, wherever they were, right? aside from maybe Golden State. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but you do have to figure out how to supplement. You have JJ Redick there. Um, the kid Landry Shamit has, he's, he's, I don't know what his numbers say, but I've watched him play a few times and he seems to be able to shoot the ball. Everything falls apart in today's NBA with players like Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler who like to have the ball in their hands and go to work mm-hmm. if you can't supplement with shooting to space the floor. And so that's going to be the Sixers challenge. They let a lot of it go last year. They got rid of, um, what's the guy, um, uh, the guys at Milwaukee now, um, long, uh, Irsan Ilya. Irsan Ilya Sova, right? You had, the attack, I can't call any of their names right Marco now. Bellinelli. Marco Bellinelli. <laughs> right, but you let a lot of that go, and it was really integral to the way you play. And now you've lost Covington. Sorry, it you could sorry, you could stretch the floor too. Yeah. So uh, there'll be a work in progress, but yeah, it's surely an upgrade in talent. I think Jimmy's done with his chances in the NBA being a problem in the locker room. He found his way out of Fred Hoiberg's Chicago Bulls. That was a mess. And now Coach Tom Thibodeau's Minnesota Timberwolves. And, dude, he didn't just – Crossed that bridge, he burned the bridge down. Yeah, it's gone. He talked trash about Wig. Now we all know about who Wiggins is supposedly and who Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. You were talking about uh, someone being an alpha, uh, KD. Yeah, man, they wish they had that in Minnesota. From what Jimmy Butler's been saying, right? Yep. He burned that to the ground. Now here he is in this locker room. People are wondering, is this going to work personality-wise? I think for Jimmy, it has to work. It, oh, it has to work for Jimmy. And my question is, how is Jimmy approaching it? Like, is Jimmy coming in to? You know, you have to humble yourself a little bit when you go into somebody's house, right? Like you come in, you're coming in. This is Joel Embiid's show, all right? And Ben Simmons is right on his heels, right? But it's Joel Embiid's show. And so, like, is Jimmy going to be cool being the third guy? Uh, is Jimmy going to fight with Ben Simmons to be the second guy? Is Jimmy going to be crazy enough to walk in after what he just did in Minnesota and fight Joel Embiid to be the number one guy? He still wants a max deal. So, you know, a, a Jimmy can handle a lot of this. By himself, by just going in there, having a little humility and kind of getting in where you fit in for a while, um, submitting to the team a bit. You know, I don't know, I don't know Jimmy, uh, but he doesn't doesn't seem to have that bone in his body. He better now, or he's in a lot of trouble in terms of the way the rest of the NBA looks at him and his value to teams that could potentially win. And they can't afford to give him a max deal, and everything says that they will. Yeah. And for me, the scary thing is, this is a guy who said, "I want to go to Brooklyn." I want to go to the Clippers. These yeah. are teams that can pay him and don't have a number one guy. So will he seed things to Joel Embiid? I don't know. I, I have to. No, the jury's out on that. Uh, so let's take uh, take a look at Markel Fultz last night because yeah. Twitter went crazy when this happened. He takes a free throw and the hitch is back in a really bad way. Uh, Fultz, here, take a look and just walk me through what oh. you see. He's going up in the shot. Oh, oh, that is just that's just hitchy all the way. Um, that's just a guy who's not—he's just not confident, not sure. He's 
He's nervous to be on the line. The ball in his hand doesn't even shooting is an it should be a natural thing. Like and I talk to my boys, I got it should be smooth, dude. Like I talked to my ten year old about shooting, we're in the backyard and you know, look, everybody talks about hand placement and release. It should be whatever. It should be natural. Like, Lonzo's shot is, like, bad, but it looks like he likes to shoot it. Markel Fultz doesn't look like he likes to shoot his shot. That's the problem. At all. His excuse, it slipped. No, I'm sorry. It did not slip. No. No, I'm sorry. My problem, him saying it slipped, you know what he's not doing? He's not owning it. If he could just own it, like we talked about Nathan Peterman uh, being cut after throwing seven picks. Yeah. I think he should strike while the iron's hot. Sign some some endorsement deal when it yeah. goes, hey, I'm Nate Peterman. You have a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. Like, you know, I threw seven picks, which is pretty bad. Why don't you I, – I don't know what the product would be that, it, that like, embraces being a failure. Right. <laughs> but my point is that people would love Nate Peterman if he did that. And people, I think, would throw their arms more around Markel Fultz if he – owned it yeah but yet again last night he comes out and says it slipped causing the media and fans and guys like you to say no it did not and, and you feel like he's hiding something and you want to go after him well you got to remember i mean i think he's probably he's probably 19 years old yeah you're so right. he's a you know he's a baby i mean and so you know you're taking for granted that he's got you know adults in his corner that are in his ear helping him kind of navigate some of these scenarios and you know, it's a lot when you come in the NBA at 19, 20 years old to begin with, let alone being the number one pick and then obviously having the type of mental hiccups that he's had. And I say mental because I know they rolled it up on his shoulder last year, but when you see a guy doing that with his free throws and having to work on his jump shot all summer and it's just looking like excruciatingly painful, that's not a physical thing. It's a that's mental. a mental thing. And he's got a mental hurdle that he's got to clear. Um, and that's tough for a 19-year-old especially. And so... No, I, like I said, Markel Fultz, the game plan for me with Markel is don't worry about your shot. Don't worry about shooting the ball. Do not worry about any of that. You go out there and you play the game. Don't, you know what I mean? Like whatever it is that you do great and you feel secure in, do that and we'll find a way to make it work around that. Maybe it's in packages, maybe it's in spurts, wherever we can get it in. We'll build off of that, but don't get hung up on the stuff that you can't do because you know, those are scenarios under which some guys don't recover from. Yeah. Like you get, that gets in your head. Did you ever experience anything like that? Any sort of yips? No, not the yips like that. No. I mean, I went through a period where I didn't shoot the ball well. Like I was down on myself and that's how I know it's, it's mental. And really Philadelphia was one of those spots. I, I came out of the CBA, um, and I scored points. I came out of college and I scored points. Like that's what I did. And when I got to the NBA, sure, the size was different and the speed was different, but I fell into a, a very, like unconfident place where I didn't believe I was going to make shots. And my form never looked like that. Like just, I didn't get a whole lot of shots in the game and they weren't going in. And so it kind of snowballed on me. And then for that summer, I was, yeah, I did have to see a shooting coach and I, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, like it was mental. It did was you mental. Did you have to it turn was... yourself into an old NBA, all defensive player? Did no. you have to work, I'm going to become that because my role has changed from being this to being this in the league? No. See, what happened to me was I got there and I could score. And I scored in practice with the Sixers. But there weren't a lot of shots. It's not the way we played, right? Allen Iverson got a lot of the shots. So you wind up standing around, standing around, standing around. And you only get maybe two shots a game. Yeah. But I've always been a volume guy because wherever I was, I was the scorer, right? So it's hard to produce in that and then when you lose confidence in your ability to produce in that little tiny two-shot window, yeah. you know, again, it starts to snowball on you. So I was always defending. 
Uh, but that summer I had to go back to the gym. I didn't change my form or anything. It wasn't like broken like that. I just had to rep it out. I had to rep it out. I had to rep it out. So I developed that, you know, that belief in my shot again. I had to see it go in thousands and thousands yeah. of times. And, and then it helped me get back to where, where I could make shots. All right. So a guy who needs the ball in his hand a lot is Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. And that won't be in a Rockets uniform anymore, reportedly. After just 10 games, it looks like the Rockets are. It's over. Quits. What was your reaction? It, uh, I wasn't surprised. It's over. Yeah. It's over. Like it's, for NBA players, for any, any kind of player, you're usually the last person to know that it's time to probably hang it up. Mm. I love Melo. Uh, uh, I like Melo's game. I always had my questions as to whether or not that game could translate into winning championships. Um, but I still love the, he was a pure scorer. He could get buckets. When you say it's over, you don't mean just in Houston? No, I mean, mean it's, period. It's time to go. Wow. Yeah. I mean, look, and, 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 cause they're reaching out to teams right now saying who wants him, who wants him. Somebody will take him. Somebody will probably take him. I don't know where it'll be, but in terms of what he can do for you, um, and whether or not that can help you win, it's over. I mean, you can put him on a bad team and give him the ball a hundred times and he'll probably get 17, 18, Maybe the 19 Knicks. points a game. Yeah. Like, but no, the Knicks, you better not. Um, but, but you understand what I'm saying? You could be a, a inefficient volume scorer on a bad team who goes nowhere and doesn't score. But if you're going to have that, why wouldn't you let a young guy kind of cut his teeth and do that for and you? And that's exactly and go into that role? what they're going to do in Houston. Right. Is because he was coming off the bench. I know he did start once when uh, I think it was when CP3 was suspended, and he had a pretty good game too, yeah. if you remember that. Um, and he was on the bench now. Remember, he had all the issues coming off the bench to start the year. I think they probably came to him and said, we're going to let our young guys cut their teeth. We're going to give you an even lesser role. And he said, no way, I'm out. This is just my theory. He said, no way, I'm out. Let's just make it look like we're parting ways. And that's why he's going. Because they came to him and said what you just said. Yeah, totally. That's a hard – he didn't swallow it well when they when they did that in, in New York. That's, it's not what – and quite frankly, in, in – in uh, OKC when they asked him to come off the bench. Like, he's thing. been pretty defiant about that. And that's why I say players are the last ones to know. He seems to be the last person to know. Mm-hmm. I knew the, the the interesting part to me is how he wound up in Houston to begin with. Because, um, look, Mike D'Antoni's friend of mine, like when Mike took the job in L.A. and I was out of the league, I went and spent some time out in L.A. Uh, and I, I asked Mike a lot of questions about how I went down in, in New York with Carmelo. And while Mike didn't kill Carmelo, some of the stories that he told me about the relationships there with Jeremy Lin and Carmelo and stuff like that led me to believe that Mello would not have been a Mike choice coming into the situation in Houston. So when they signed him, I was wondering who, you know, who pulled the trigger on that. Someone had to probably force Mike's hand to bring Mello in. So I always saw it, um, as something that could blow up in their face. I did think that if he was making shots, he could add value to their offensive production yeah. as a floor spacer. But beyond that, I didn't, I didn't see much. He shoots in the mid range and they don't take mid range shots. Yeah, it just didn't seem to make sense. And I knew his backstory with Mike and the way it went down in, in New York and all of that falling apart. So I didn't understand. Right. But Mike's the kind of guy who you thought would make it work in Houston if he had to. Because clearly, as you point out, Daryl Morey made this decision, not Dan Tony. Yeah, I think Mike, look, Mike wants to win too. And Mike's got an offense that if, if he can space the floor, but I promise you, Mike D'Antoni went into Daryl multiple times before this, and I haven't—I like, didn't talk to Mike about this, so it's not a quote. Right. But I know that I know Mike, and I know that relationship in in New York, and I know Mike was trying to fight for for that not to happen there in Houston. So it's no surprise to me that it's not working. All right, guys, that's it for now. For off the bench, we'll be right back. And when we come back, we are talking college basketball with Matt yep. Orlander. Can anyone beat Duke? Uh, yeah, somebody can beat Duke for you sure. Think so they're not—they don't have as much talent as Duke, but somebody will beat them. All right, we'll see what Matt thinks next. Welcome back to Off the Bench. 
Casey Kiernan filling in for Danny Cannell. Doing a great job, by the way. That is Rajah Bell. Yeah. I'm not off the bench. I'm off the couch. Never even been in a starting lineup or the bench. Uh, the new top 10 in the AP for college hoops was released. Duke, the new number one. Kansas was number one. They dropped to two. They're just the fourth team in the AP era to drop after a season opening win. Duke is that good. They set a record now with 135 weeks at number one that broke a tie with John Wooden's UCLA. Uh, Gonzaga stayed at three. Then Virginia, Tennessee bumped up one because Kentucky lost and they fall eight spots to ten, rounding out the top ten Nevada, North Carolina, Villanova, and Auburn. Mm-hmm. All right, let's bring in our college hoops writer, Matt Norlander. Raja Bell, I know you're imp- uh, impressed with Duke, man. Yeah, I am. Matt, I, I, I mean, I gotta ask you, man. Like, I, I, I am of the school of thought that you're rolling out that many young players. There are going to be some hiccups along the way. They'll lose some games. Um, but do they have the type of chops? Like, do they have the type of support that they would need from veterans to be an NCAA champion? Or is it just too much to ask for that many young guys? Raja, when we spoke last week, you asked me why Duke wasn't the preseason number one team. And do you remember? <laughs> I, I, do you remember? I explained to you why it was logical and reasonable that they weren't because oh, of the I young remember. guys. Yeah. Because of the young guys, right? And because they didn't really have true veteran presence. Well, what they've done to start these young guys has been insane and ridiculous. Um, I feel like Duke does have enough from the returning group. Like Marquise Bolden, I think he can provide just enough. I actually think Alex O'Connell is going to come into his own this season. So, yes, this team is capable of winning a national championship. But I do think, and this is going to be way, way harder said than done, you're going to have to see R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish. Raja, you're going to have to see those guys continually produced near the level, not on the level. Let's just say near the level they have to start these, the season with these first pair of games. And that obviously gets tougher as the season goes along. I, I want to I follow up. I, I kind of agree with you there. But I, I'm watching R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson and, and Cam Reddish, but like through a pro lens, right? And I see, I see R.J. being the better pro prospect. And I think most people agree with that. But is it fair to say, like, that Zion has been the more impressive, like, in terms of what he's going to do in college and maybe for a whole college season could be better than R.J. Barrett for the college game? Raja, great point. Yeah, and let's talk about this real quick because Zion Williamson was a freak prospect, right? But I spoke with a number of college coaches, frankly, some college coaches that were even recruiting him, some NBA guys, and there was a thought that Zion's peak and dominance as a player was going to end in high school college he was going to be good but not quite the same than the nba he was going to have his opportunities going to perform in some dunk contests could be an nba level starter but he was never going to be as good at that level as he was at the high school level well early on here zion williamson has been the most impressive player on duke's roster in fact what he's done i want to maybe say we haven't given him even enough credit considering the amount of hype and expectation that was put on his shoulders coming into college You've heard a lot of people say yep. that there hasn't been a prospect coming out of high school with this much hype around him since LeBron James. And, of course, LeBron didn't have to go to college. Zion has missed, what, two shots from the field at this point? He can't keep that pace up, obviously, but he has been fantastic so far. And, yeah, Duke looks scary good. They are worthy of leapfrogging Kansas to get to that number one ranking. Yeah, and Zion, you know, he was all about the dunks. That's why the hype was there is because of YouTube yeah. and Twitter and all that stuff. And he said what I love about Coach K is 
He lets me feature my jump shot. Yeah. I'm more than just a dunker. Yeah, what, proven it. <laughs> what makes R.J. Barrett a better pro po- prospect than Zion? I, I just I think that R.J. has a more well-rounded game. Like, I think he can affect the game in a lot of different ways. And I, I, I got to give Zion credit because he's able to do way more than I thought as well, right? He shoots the ball a little bit, although I don't trust it. And he can actually, you know, he barrels to the rim. Once he gets sledding downhill, he's tough. But R.J. looks like, you know, he's kind of Ben Simmons-ish in that he can run, you know, the like point-forward type of stuff. He shoots the ball. He's, he's a fluid athlete. He just affects the game. Uh, in more ways for me personally. Yeah. So it was a 34 point win for Duke over Kentucky on yeah. opening night. The most lopsided opening night win for, uh, Duke over a top five team. The worst loss in Coach Cal's career. And then against Southern Illinois, they didn't look dominant either, Kentucky. How overrated was this team, Matt? Well, we can say that they were overrated in that they were ranked second and they don't look like the second best team in America right now. And yes, yeah, Southern Illinois actually made that an interesting game. Kentucky was trailing most of the night. Um, but we don't have to completely sell our UK stock here, guys. Not at this point. This could just wind up being a situation that Cal has frankly run up against before and that he's had freshman talented, freshman laden teams and it's taken them a month or two to really find a rhythm. Maybe that's going to be the case here. The reason why we didn't think that was going to be the case was Reed Travis and how good he has proven to have been at Stanford. You had P.J. Washington returning, Quaddy Green coming back. So there was more of a veteran presence. But maybe that just won't be the case here. But this is the concerning thing. For as good as Nick Richards was against Southern Illinois, he had 19 rebounds, which is the most ever under John Calipari at Kentucky. You haven't seen Reed Travis be as immediately dominant as we thought. P.J. Washington, who to me has to be the heart and soul of this team for Kentucky to maximize uh, its capability, he hasn't quite been that as well. So the takeaway is, was Kentucky overrated heading into the season? Well, as we sit here right now, guys, yes, but I don't I don't remove the possibility that Kentucky can actually find its groove and, and wind up at number one in the polls before the season is out. I still think it's got a good shot at being a number one over a number one seed, one of the four number ones. But right now, just trying to find a rhythm. And this has obviously been something of a pattern with Kentucky's freshman laden teams in the past half decade. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about the the West Coast because Nevada and Gonzaga. Like, when did we get Gonzaga's been there for a while? But Nevada kind of crept up on me. They're the class of the West right now. Um, how good are both of these teams? And do you think a, which one of them would would have the best chance at maybe surprising some people and and getting into the Final Four or 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 the final game? Yeah, Nevada would be the one that would surprise people, Raja, because they're not a typical year-over-year Final Four contender. They're actually a national championship contender. I still think that this is one of the five best teams clearly in the country. Gonzaga's been doing it for a while. And when I spoke to Nevada coach Eric Musselman, he impressed upon me how good this team will be because of how many, frankly, 21 and 22-year-olds are on this roster. And, yeah, that still has plenty of real value in college basketball and selfishly, I'd love to see Duke play Nevada in the Final Four because Duke has all those studs, all those future lottery picks, and Nevada has full-grown men who, by the way, a couple of them at least are going to play in the NBA as well. I think it would be a great contrast because you don't have many younger teams than Duke in college basketball. You don't have many older teams uh, than Nevada in college hoops, and I think they've got a great shot. And keep this in mind, Nevada has already played its toughest opponent at home probably in BYU. The only other team that might come close is San Diego State in league play come uh, come later in the season. So I think that they're going to run the table at home and have a really good shot at a two seed. The only team that might compete with them is Gonzaga in terms of getting that number one seed or two seed on the West, in the West side of the bracket. Gonzaga is obviously loaded. Rui Hachimura has started fantastically well. And yes, Gonzaga is really good again. Here's your quick takeaway on Gonzaga. 
They've been good occasionally year over year and really, really good in some years. They're chasing their third one seed in school history. This actually does have a chance to be the best Gonzaga team ever. And I say that knowing they made a title game recently. They've had some two seeds. They're, they're really, really good and they're really spread out with talent all across the floor. So two teams out West, not from the Pac-12, but from the WCC and Mountain West. Those are your best out West. Oh, that's awesome. I want to ask you one more, and this one isn't on the script, but I want to ask you about UVA because I watched them year after year and I, I love what Tony Bennett does, but I've always kind of felt like their teams lacked enough punch, enough, enough of the guys to really get over the hump. And then last year, uh, in the tournament, they look like they might be trending and I know they're ranked pretty high this year. Talk to me about what they got going on at UVA. Virginia is a team that, uh, frankly, coaches within the business still think is going to be really, really good again. I sat down with Archie Miller in Bloomington last week, and it was the day after Duke did what it did to Kentucky, and he said, listen, I'm telling you, like, Duke's not putting 80 on Virginia. Duke might not put 70 on Virginia. That defense is still top tier overall. They've still got the, not just the style, but the personnel. DeAndre Hunter, personally, I think he'll be a top 20 pick in June. Uh, Kyle Guy has the potential to be a 20, 22 point a game a night kind of guy. So the, the point is the offense is there. They lost a couple of pieces from last season. I think Virginia is going to be the best team in the ACC. I think it's going to win the ACC. And as we really, Raja and Casey, as we really look forward ahead, I think it's going to be fascinating with Virginia, Duke, and probably even North Carolina with the talent it has, all vying for that one seed line. It's why I think Duke is no sure thing. Uh, you know, we might have Duke undefeated talk, but frankly, Virginia is good enough to beat Duke. They play each other on each other's home floors. I think Virginia's going to give a strong push, so will Carolina. But yes, keep an eye. A year after Virginia loses to UMBC in the tournament, yeah. I think the Cavaliers will be in this year's Final Four. Real quick, did, uh, did Musselman have his shirt on when you interviewed him? <laughs> he did, he did, but he I have did. actually set the over at 2.5 post-game shirtless celebrations for Eric Musselman this season. That's the official Norlander yeah. over-under, so keep an eye. <laughs> All right, the way you described him and things coming off multiple times this season. All right, Matt Norlander, go check his stuff stuff out on CBSSports.com. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, when we come back, we got leftovers. Nice. Heath Cummings is here giving us fantasy football advice because we need it. Yeah, Six teams on a bye. Yeah. Uh, plus, Hugh Jackson got a new job in the NFL. We'll break that down. Already? Already. Next. What's up, Buck? Welcome back to Off the Bench. My name's Casey Kieran. I'm filling in for Danny Cannell. That's Raja Bell. And the man over, way over there, is Heath Cummings. He's our fantasy expert. Heath, we need advice because six teams are on a bye. It's a bye-nado. Who should we be looking at on the waiver wire for quarterbacks? It's the guy we were looking at last night, Eli Manning, taking advantage of a good matchup against the 49ers through three touchdown passes. Now he gets the best matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that hasn't stopped anybody this year. As long as that offensive line can protect Eli, I think he's going to be a top 10 quarterback this week. He's fighting for his job, and he's fighting for your fantasy team. Why would you think the offensive line could protect him? The more sacks than he's ever had in his career this year, what what gives you any kind of faith in that Giants line? They are trending in the right direction. They did a much better job last night. I, they're not good, but Tampa Bay is so bad that they'll be okay. All right, talk to me about running backs. Who should I be looking to pick up? Josh Adams is by far the best running back on the Philadelphia Eagles roster. You know, Doug Peterson loves this running back by committee. He'll use two backs, he'll use three backs, and that was all fine and good last year when they won the Super Bowl with that method. But now that they're losing, they're talking about maybe we need to give the best running back a little bit more work. I would expect Adams sees closer to 10, maybe 12 touches in this game. You may not want to start him until you see it, but he's a great guy to add and keep on your bench in case he breaks out. What about wide receivers? Who are we looking at this week, Heath? Well, we just saw Anthony Miller break out. The rookie with over, went over 100 yards, scored a touchdown, 
and shockingly, he's still just 24% owned. Listen, the, the key here is Taylor Gabriel really saw his targets go backwards last week. If it's just Robinson and Miller with the way Trubisky's playing right now, they can both be top 30 wide receivers. Heath Cummings with the top waiver wire pickups for this week in the NFL with six teams on a bye. Thanks a lot, Heath. Appreciate it. All right, time for leftovers. Hugh Jackson has a job already. They thought, that guy, that guy who got like four wins in three years, I want him on my staff. Some guys are cut out to be assistants. Yes. And they can be very good in that role. And it doesn't mean that they're gonna, it's gonna translate to like the head seat. So maybe that's just who he is. What did you think of the way that he did react when he was head coach when we got to see inside that, those meeting rooms and he ended every argument with, I'm the head coach. If you, well, it's, <laughs> did that rub uh, you the wrong yeah, way? No, it just speaks to a little insecurity, right? Cause I always say like, if look, if you're a boss or if you're the boss, you don't have to tell everybody you're the boss, right? Like you, you feel pretty confident. And so when you're out there like broadcasting it for everybody to, 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 to kind of bow down, it speaks to you just being a little insecure in the fact that you are actually the boss. So, um, yeah, again, probably a really, really good coordinator or assistant doesn't mean you're going to be a great head coach. Happens all the time. So he's going to be a special assistant to head coach Marvin Lewis at the Bengals, and he was on that staff before he took the Browns job. Uh, Hugh Jackson obviously was an assistant for Pete Carroll at USC. He's been at a lot of great places, but things just did not go well there. You know, so, sometimes in pro sports, like, Getting fired or getting cut, not the worst thing in the world, right? Because like you get paid. That money's probably guaranteed, right? And yeah. now you're gonna double up. So That's now true. you get to roll into, you go, you get to roll into Cincinnati. It's a better situation than you were in. You're not the head man, but you're still getting head man money and you're getting a little extra taste from the Bengals. Boom, win-win. I wonder who should take that Browns job. Because, you know, is it a, a, an attractive job? You've got Baker Mayfield there. You've got yeah. all those high picks on the defense. Yeah, I think it's attractive. Um, I, yeah, I think it's attractive too, but can you sort of speak to a, uh, toxic culture? I mean, yeah. you've got that owner, Jimmy Haslam, who ever since the Browns were, uh, reestablished in Cleveland, they've been horrible. The Correct. amount of quarterbacks they've gone through is astronomical. I shouldn't have said it's attractive because I really don't believe that. I, I think, you have to really be concerned that if you take that job um, and it's your first job, that you'll never get another job again because the track record of them running through coaches and recycling them and and uh, it doesn't speak to stability and being given an opportunity to really succeed there. I don't know. They hung on to, on to Hugh Jackson for a little while longer. You know, he had Owen sixteen. Yeah, let him come back the next year. But how many coaches have they had? I had the I had the numbers in front of me a few weeks ago when we talked about sure. this. Like, yeah, they might have held on to him a little longer. Like, and. He should have probably been fired. But the point is, like, they don't typically get that right. They just cycle through them. They cycle through quarterbacks. When you're cycling through everything, I think it speaks to the culture that you have in the building there. And so, what, who's the GM? John Dorsey? Correct. Yeah, no, he's a proven, he's a proven entity in terms of being a GM in the league, right? So, like, you just gotta be the right guy for the job. If you're, if you're a college coach and you got something special where you are, um, maybe you don't leave for a situation like the Browns, but if you're a college coach that's not at his desired destination and you want to take a swing at the NFL, or if you're an NFL guy looking to recycle or get your first gig, maybe. The Warriors are selling $100 monthly passes to games with no view. Like a country club membership. The team sent an email to its fans on Monday offering a monthly in the building pass. Yeah. That's really dressing. It's a social, up. it's a social membership at a country club. Like so bad. You can't golf or play tennis, but you can pay us to like use our facilities and, and, and dine. At first, I was thinking like, oh, this is at the new arena in San Francisco. Yeah, no, this, this is, is at Oracle Arena, which is a poop box. Is it a poop box? It's poop box. What does that even mean? Like, it's not a great, great arena. I mean, it's got a great ambiance and the flavor. The flavor. Oh, hi Siri. 
Oh, all right. Um, <laughs> poop box is his is his code word. You know, he goes, Siri, box, call me poop box. Um, and Siri's like, hello. You know, like not state of the art, I should say. Yeah. But the atmosphere in there is fantastic. But they got like 10,000 people waiting on a wait list for tickets. So if you just want to be a part of what they're doing in Oakland, and this is what, this dude, last what year. What is this? You wouldn't do that? There are too many people that live in the Bay Area. That's what this is. That, that for sure. $100 a month to just go into the building. $100? That's a bargain. What are you talking about? There you, are pay, so uh, many you pay that to get in the clubs. Area. Or maybe that's how good the Warriors are. Get it in now because KD's gone. You pay that to get into nightclubs. KD's gone. This KD's is out? Are you calling that right it's now? Happen. Going to the Clippers. <laughs>